All right, I won't make you sit there quietly and uncomfortable anymore. Awkward silence. All right. So here we are, Sunday morning. The bucolic splendor of Lecompton, Kansas. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you you love us with an undying love. God, we're grateful for uh, everything that you've done for us. God, we're grateful for Calvary. God, we're grateful. God, for every day since, God, how you have kept us. God, how you, you've rescued us and changed us and made us your own. God, we're, uh, we're so thankful for all that you've done. God, I just I pray today, God, that you would give us ears to hear. God, that you'd plant your word inside of us. God, we just are asking you to do what only you could do. God, I I, I pray that you would bring forth your word, God, as, as you have intended. God, uh, no one is, has come here to hear what I have to say. God, what we've come to hear is what you have to say. Yeah. Right, so I pray that you would bring it forth today exactly as you intend. God, I pray that you as minister in this place to us as only you can. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's go to Second Kings chapter 5. You will notice that I've already turned there, so I have beaten you all. Second uh, Kings, chapter 5. This is a familiar story. Uh, we're going to read about Naaman a bit this morning. Uh, and uh, yeah, I like the story of, of Naaman because uh, so often we... Uh, we approach God doing things in our life with a, a certain expectation of, of what He's going to do or how He's going to do it. And it's especially that how He's going to do it part that we really get hung up on. Because for one thing, we a lot of times we can't figure out how God is going to do something because we we couldn't uh, we can't see any way that that would work or or any kind of solution that, that He might come up with. Uh, and then our faith plummets that, well, must not be going to happen then because I don't know how that would even happen. But honestly, when you have or you're faced with something in your life that you have no answer for, that's actually a really good place to be. It's uncomfortable, but it forces you then to, to trust God to take care of it. Um, if you... You know, here's here's, a, here's an interesting example. Um, for about eight years or so, uh, Mike and I did the painting gig. You know, we'd have a helper now and then, that kind of thing. And uh, we didn't have the first clue about how to run a business or how to find work. It just sort of came to us here and there, just enough of a trickle to keep us going. And uh, um, so when when things got slow, it was sort of like, okay, well, this is all right because I have no idea how 
we could possibly do anything about this, so we, we need God to do something about it. And of course he would. Uh, so nowadays, we know a lot more about how to market. We know a lot more about how to run a business and, uh, and how those things are driven by numbers and so forth and so on. And, and uh, when things get slow, we get more antsy because we, to some degree, know how to fix it. And uh, you know, knowing how to do something doesn't mean that you should necessarily or... Um, uh, or that um, that that's the direction that you ought to go. Uh, earlier this year, uh, God talked to us about going back to making Him the head of our business and, and letting Him make our decisions for us, and uh, and that was really super liberating because uh, all that knowledge that that we had suddenly wasn't this fearful thing of well, I know how to do this stuff, but you know, we just need to do it more. We just need to do it harder. Otherwise, it's not going to work, and we're going to you know, uh, all end up living in cardboard boxes uh, under a bridge somewhere. And, uh, you know, and the funny thing was, was it used to just be Mike, Mike's family and my family, and, uh, um, and then it became our families and, like, these nine other guys and their families and uh like, okay. So it's funny because nothing has really changed. It's just all the numbers are larger. And the amount of people that uh, are relying on uh, on God are more so. But it's funny because, of course, these guys are not Christians. And so they're not, or by and large, so they are not, you know, they're just trusting us to, to um, you know, put a, put a paycheck in their bank account at the end of the week. And... Uh, so needing God to do that uh, is a is a really great place to be because all the effort in the world can go nowhere. That's the funny thing about marketing, and that's one of the things that always stopped us before was it's like before I spend this kind of money and effort on this, I better know it's going to work. you know. And, of course, obviously you, you want to do that, but sometimes you don't know if you don't try it. But Anyway, this is not a lesson about business, but what I wanted to talk about is trusting God and and uh, and our expectation about what He does or how He's going to do it. And Naaman's story has this really great uh, little deal about surrender in it too that that uh, um, that I want to I really want to focus on. But so in Second Kings five, uh, we'll start in verse one. Now Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, honorable because the Lord had given, by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. So here's this great man, uh, this this great general, with all of this prestige and power, and and it even says that that God had used him to. Uh, uh, to fight against um, uh, Israel, I suppose, because of course God would use the nations around it, around them to um, deal with issues in, in them. But he's a leper, and so you know we were talking recently about about Paul having the thorn in his flesh, and so it's great to have 
you know, have something that, that keeps you humble, something that takes you, you know, down a peg now and then. But uh, obviously, you know, leprosy is is a bit more serious than that when you if you dig into the spiritual things uh, first, because you know, there's there's oftentimes uh, God is talking about sin there. Uh, so in verse 2, the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that was in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. So, you know, we've talked about this before, but here's this this little girl that's a slave to the Syrians, and uh, you know, of course, you have this household preoccupied with this problem of of Naaman's leprosy, and uh, and this little girl knows the answer. So, so of course they so they tell uh, uh, Naaman about it, and. Uh, and then it says, and the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man doth send to me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, how he seeks a quarrel against me. So, the king of Israel is smart enough to know that he can't fix Naaman's leprosy of, of his own uh, power. Um, so, he's just saying, See, look, now the, the king of Syria is trying to start a war with us again. Because he he sent me this impossible task, and and now he's going when I can't do it, he's uh, he's going to blame me for it, and and uh, and then we're going to have war again. And when it was so, and it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood at the door of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. So... Here's this great man. You know, he would expect to be, you know, uh, have have the prophet himself come out and talk to him. But he just sends his servant out there. Uh, you know, I, we get people like that occasionally that you know, they they want to talk to the owner. They want to talk to the boss. They want to talk to the guy who who where the buck stops. You know, and so um, I, I've had people get pretty worked up at me when I tell them, well. Actually, you need to take that up with you know, X, Y, and Z. That's that's just how we set this up, and that's how I you know, we told you that ahead of time. And uh, so, so Naaman is 
is all bent out of shape that Elisha himself doesn't come out and and talk to him. He sends this messenger and he and he gives him something really simple to do. Just go wash in Jordan River. Uh, and it's funny because he's upset because he had this expectation of what was going to happen, of what of how this leprosy was going to get fixed. And he says, uh, I thought, well, surely he's going to come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. This word strike is more like waving, like waving your hand back and forth, like similar to uh, like when they would wave the, the heave offerings or the, the first fruits and that kind of thing. And so... You know, I, I guess he kind of expected him to come out and give him one of these, like, you know, my you know spectacles and my tie and everything. And um, I guess that's what he was expecting. And it, so and it, this word also carries this idea of sprinkling, like, you know, when you when how they would sprinkle the blood on the on the mercy seat, and that kind of thing and the sacrifices. So when you think about it that way, like I thought that he would that he would stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and just wave his hand and recover the leper. I just thought that he would fairy dust me. For lack of a of a better word. And it's funny because when we have a problem, you know, whether it be sin in our life, whether it just be some issue that we're struggling with, uh, sometimes we just want God to fairy dust it. And we've been talking about that a lot. Because um, a lot of Christianity has become this sort of fairy dusting, cakewalk, pie in the sky when you die sort of thing. And uh, when you read the Bible, God's people don't seem to get that. You don't get that from Hebrews 11. Being, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that everybody had it super easy and everything went smooth and they never encountered any problems and uh, never a sleepless night or an anxious moment. Being you know, surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, that's what I'd like too. It's not what it says. So, um, so, so we want these fairy dusting kind of moments here. And the funny thing is, is Elisha... This messenger sent it, it was sent out to him, and he gave him something really simple to do. But Naaman, being this great man, felt like that was beneath him to do something so simple. It's like, you just told me to go take a bath? I could have taken a bath anywhere. Are you kidding? And that's what he goes on to say. He says, Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Well, that sounds like somebody from Arkansas, doesn't it? It's like, man, everything in Arkansas is clear and pretty and you can see the bottom. Kansas is a mud pit. So, I do know some people from Arkansas. Um, but So he says, are they not better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and went away in a rage. So he's angry because he didn't get fairy dusted. Uh, and, and actually, you would think that he would be relieved to show up and, and have the answer be something so simple as go wash in Jordan seven times. 
I mean, I suppose if you were adverse to bathing, maybe taking seven baths might be a, a bit you know, unpleasant. I don't know. Maybe his armor was hard to get off. I don't know. Um, but I love verse 13. This is one of my favorite things in, in, the, in the Bible. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father. And I love how they call him my father. It's like they're, they're entreating this guy this, because they care about him. And, and I suppose being his servants, they probably are thinking about their own welfare as well. But <laughs> he says, My father, if the prophet had bid you do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he says, saith to thee, wash and be clean. So, you know, if he, you know, told you to, you know, climb the highest mountain and, and uh, you know, camp up there and, and, and you know, fast and, and do some great amazing thing or, you know, go and, you know, bring me, bring me some Edelweiss from the Swiss Alps or something, you know, anything like that, it's like, you'd have done that. You know, if he, if, uh, if he asked for some exorbitantly high price, just, you know, pay me X amount of whatever, uh, you know, give me all your stuff, you'd have done it. If he asked you for some great thing, you'd have done it. So why wouldn't you just go and wash then if that's all he told you to do? But see, it takes faith to believe that that's going to work. Because, uh, well, faith and obedience. So... Uh, I, I think we've all been through places in our life where we were doing something out of obedience that we could not see any possible benefit to. Like, how is this going to you know, fix X, Y, and Z? It's like, I, this, this is like, it seems like a completely unrelated thing. And yet, when God tells you to do something and you do it, when you obey Him, it opens the door for God to just do all sorts of stuff. And then the great thing about obedience is it, it gains momentum. It's like you obey God once, and the next time obeying Him is not so bad. And then the next time is not so bad. And then the next time is not so bad. And then eventually your flesh stops that weird little like whiny noise that it makes when God asks you to do something. Or at least you can kind of ignore it because it's like this annoying little squeak in the background while your spirit is like, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do because every time I do the stuff that God tells me to do, it turns out awesome. And and he, you know, he, uh, the great thing is, is, you know, did Elisha or his servant, for that matter, did either of them heal Naaman's leprosy? No. No, they didn't. God did. But it was because... He he obeyed the thing. See, so so he comes to this place here where where pride and stubbornness runs into humility and surrender. And um, the funny thing about humility and surrender are they gather up momentum too. And the longer you you stay in a place of of stubbornness and uh, and pride, the long, the harder it is to come into humility and surrender. Uh, once you get there, it's way easier to to stay there than it is to waffle back and forth. Because it, it's like 
it's like working, like a physical job or, or something, or exercising, for example. Either one of those would work. Uh, back when I used to paint, I did not take breaks. You have, you, we're like legally required to allow these guys to have a like break in the morning, break in the afternoon, uh, and all this stuff. Um, and of course, if you smoke, you have the God-given right to take a break wherever, whenever you want, or at least that's what most people think. Um, we have disavowed some people of that idea, but um, when I used to climb up and down ladders and sling paint around, I did not take breaks unless it was like a billion degrees outside. Uh, or if it was really, really cold and I was trying to get warm again. But in general, I didn't take breaks because every time I stopped that forward motion, it's like I'm thinking, okay, I'm not getting anywhere. Every minute that I sit here is going to be that much longer until I get home, and probably more so because then I'm going to have to get that momentum going again when I get back up. You know, you're sitting there all like, warm and sweaty and you sit down for a few minutes and you start getting cold and stiff and then you're like, oh man. We used to do like the dumbest stuff, like go out to like an all-you-can-eat pizza buffet for lunch and then then go do stuff where we're going to be crawling around on the floor and, and uh, you know, that's just a bad idea all around. You, know? you ever taken like a, like a bag with liquid in it and squeezed it? It's like it's got to go somewhere. So, bad idea. Bad, bad idea. Trying to work through a, a uh, like a little like crashing carb coma thing is a terrible, terrible thing. So, the longer you sit there, the more it's like, man, I don't really want to go back to work now. I'd really rather just go home. That was like the worst thing when you get stuck waiting for something to dry. Like you have to wait for this thing to dry. We're going to coat it with this other stuff, and we we have to do that before we go home. Well, I guess we could sit in the van and play Angry Birds for two hours. <sighs> and the longer you sit there, the you know when it finally comes time to go back in there and work, I don't want to do this now. I just want to go home. So humility and surrender are the same way. Staying in that place of, of humility before God and, and obeying the things that He has for us to do, um, they they gather this sense of momentum to them. It's like the song says, "I've, I've come too far to look back." And, uh, and 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 as I said, the longer you dig in your heels, I read this interesting article uh, in the news that I thought was interesting that humans do not typically um, base their decisions on facts. That, that it's mostly just some kind of irrational, emotional decision that most people have for an opinion, which made me feel good about myself. Um, but that oftentimes people are not persuaded by facts. Even if you present them facts that, that completely debunk the thing that they believe, they are, they're more likely to dig their heels in and, and discount the facts than they are to be moved by them. And I thought, wow, that explains a lot. It's like I knew that, I guess, intuitively, but not really, like I'd never really thought about it. Um, and so that's the interesting thing about humility and surrender is that coming into that place you know, requires not digging in your heels. Because the more God talks to you about surrender, 
the the knee jerk reaction in human nature is to dig in your heels and say, nah, like, but this is what I do. This is my thing. And um, and the interesting thing is, when God asks you to do something, it's usually something simple like what He told Naaman. You know, God doesn't start out with, you know, climb Mount Everest. You know, like He starts you out with, let's do something small today. And, uh, you know, if, uh, like every time you, everything you've ever looked at about, like, starting an exercise program, it's like, consult a doctor, start slow, blah, 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 blah. And everybody who's ever gone and exercised and then couldn't get out of bed the next morning knows why you would start small. Remember the first when I started? Uh, I started doing um, squats at the gym, and I could barely get up my stairs at my house. I'm like trying to get to bed, and my kids would watch me like, "Are you okay, Dad?" And I'm like, I'm holding on to that rail like I'm 80 years old, and just oh, like gritting my teeth and groaning, just trying to get up the stairs. And coming down is even worse. It's like like holding on for dear life. So, so that's what God knows. God knows that you need to start small, you know, because if you start small, then uh, your legs might be a little stiff, but not, you're not going to be nearly crippled for days. So, so God knows how to do that, and because you'll look at the, nah, that looks too, like, nah, it doesn't look like something I'd like to do, and then you just don't ever do it. And so, so God knows how to to put just the right sized carrot in front of you to get you to go the right direction. So, and of course, I, I, we have to read verse 14. Then Naaman went down and he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Now, behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of my servant. And of course, they won't, they won't take anything from him. But... Uh, so he he did the thing that that he was that he was asked the nice simple thing and it and it's funny because he he had to humble himself down to listen to his own servants you know and typically people of authority and power don't really like to listen to the people that they order around but you know really a, a good leader actually does listen to the the people that he leads. Um, so, so we all, we all get in these places where we have something in our life that that we want God to fix, or or that that God is telling us needs to be fixed. Um, because of course God doesn't He doesn't get going on your project if you won't let Him. You know we don't uh, we don't paint for people until they sign the little thing saying that they are in fact going to pay us to do it. And uh, I've had people get bent out of shape that uh, just saying yes verbally or in an email wasn't good enough. It's like, well, we are contractors, so we have to have you sign a contract, and that's just how it works. But, you know, God is not going to start on your project until you, you sign on the dotted line. If he tells you to go, you know, if you're, if you're like, God, I need you to fix my whatever in, that's going on in my life. Then he's like, "Great, go dip in the river seven times." 
It's like, what? It's like, surely I, I, I thought that he would fairy dust me. You know, or and, and that I wouldn't have to do anything and he would just make it all better. Or uh, we think, it's like, that's it? It's like, I thought surely I would have to, you know, uh, like double my tithes and, you know, start, you know, start a youth group and, uh, you know, uh, adopt a highway or something. It's like, I thought surely I would have to do all kinds of stuff in order to earn God's favor to fix my problem. No. No, because that, of course, would cheapen the fact that Jesus already did it all for us. But, uh, so sometimes we we have the thing that we're asking God, please fix this thing, and He says, "Okay, great, do this." And uh, and if He does, if that's not the thing holding you back that that will fix that will let God fix the thing, it's a step in the right direction. It's like, okay, now great, now we're going to do this. And now we're going to do this. And before you know it, your thing that you were asking him to fix is fixed. Sometimes we we get in a bind um, in our life where we're all like hung up on something that is contrary to the Word of God. And that's more like, to me, even more like this, what this leprosy would represent. Because we can get in, we can get stuck in something that's that uh, that is uh, a sin, and we just we it's like we're like God. I just um, you know I'm, I'm just I'm doing my thing here, and God's saying, well, this needs to change. You know, and and sometimes God will, uh, you know, the great thing is is God will just confront you about stuff and confront you about stuff until you you can't miss it. Right. I I loved uh, the story Mike Warnke told uh, about. In college, he was like this satanic high priest or something stupid like that, and and there were these two Christian guys on the campus, uh, and they would follow him around. Like every time he would run into him, they'd be like, "I rebuke you in the name of Jesus." And he's like, "I literally, I'm walking down the sidewalk and I see these guys coming," and he's like, "I hid, like I was hiding in the bushes." Thinking, okay, let's let Peter and Paul go by here, and and so I'm just crouching in the bushes, and then the bushes part, and there they are, and he just looks at me and says, "I rebuke you in the name of Jesus." <laughs> it's like, ah! so you know, God doesn't mind confronting stuff in our life, and and uh, a lot of times, you know, it it it's just this simple. It's like, well, just surrender on the thing then. No, confess it and forsake it, and that's the, that's the trick, isn't it? Confessing it and forsaking it, because if you're if you're stuck in pride and stubbornness, it's going to be really hard to confess it for one thing, because uh, we all like to have people believe that we have it all together. It must be part of the reason I'm up here, because everybody can tell I don't have it all together. But um, uh, so. I just I love it because it's like how his his servants telling him it's just this simple thing. It's like why would you not just surrender to it? And uh and it's it's really that simple. It's like are you really happy being locked up with your leprosy? Wouldn't it be better wouldn't anything be better than that? And uh so you know, the thing that I like so much about this story though is that, that Naaman 
surrenders to the little simple things. Right. And and it it lets God fix the thing in his life and that's really uh a really great lesson uh for us because that's about as close to fairy dusting as you could get. Go go wash in the river. How tough is that? So and of course God will uh he'll move you on to more difficult things. And uh you know he'll he'll have you obeying things that you'd really rather not as time goes on, but but he lets you develop this track record first of obeying him on these little things. Like the song says, you know, if I do the little things that Jesus tells me then uh you know, then of course the song goes on and surely he'll roll back Jordan for me. So that's the thing that we all want. And uh you know, I, I love it how you know God is such a loving God, he doesn't you know, he doesn't start out with ultimatums. Uh, you know, ultimatums are, are typically something that only happen I mean, you think about a relationship with a person, it's like Ultimatums don't happen until you're repeatedly ignoring the uh, the injunction to to do or not do something, and then when when that's not working, then typically is when the ultimatums start start coming down. So we don't ever want to push God into a place of of having to give us an ultimatum of you know this this needs to change or else, because or else is a scary statement, <laughs> and and the 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 church by and large, has lost the idea that God would ever say or else. So, um, so, so humility and surrender to the things that God would ask of us is a really, really simple thing. And, uh, um, and it doesn't always feel so easy at that moment, but the... Uh, uh, it's 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 easier to go God's way than it is to 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 keep fighting Him, and 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 to keep uh, going going your own direction. So God, we just we thank you for your word to us. God, we we all want to have a uh, a heart that just melts before you. God, we don't we we don't want to ever push you into having to give us an ultimatum. Lord God, we want to. Uh, uh, we want to do the things that you ask us to do. Lord God, we don't want to um, expect you to just fairy dust our problems away, and we don't want to expect that you would ask us to do something so so difficult as to be impossible. And you're a wise God. You're a loving Father. And we appreciate your wisdom. We appreciate your love. God, and I just, I'm asking you to do in us what only you could do, God, that you would make us into all that you would have us to be, God, that every everything that we're asking you to change, God, that uh, in our lives that you'd bring us to that moment, that you'd bring us to that place of of choosing, God, of, of just surrendering to to the little thing that you told us to do, God, and turning you loose to do the things in our life that only you can. God, we ask it and pray it in your name. And in this place today, we just want you to do exactly what you do. You know, what what only you could do. You know, we just want to receive from you all that you have for us, God, but also to bring you glory and honor and praise, God, because you are worthy. 
God, more more worthy than we could ever express to you with our words. God, we just pray that you would be glorified in this place today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.